You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, guys. So this week has seemed so long and exhausting. It started out last Sunday with taping the live episode, which went really well in so many ways. Um, I can't believe it's now over and that it really hasn't been that long since it happened. Um, but also in the middle of that, I've, I'm putting up a play. Uh, we have our first show tomorrow night that has all happened very quickly. So my focus has also been put on that. Um, and then obviously the election happened and, uh, as an artist and a human being, and especially as a woman, I was very disappointed and surprised and frankly scared by the outcome of the election. So anyway, I'm going to talk a little bit longer than usual on this episode just to kind of explain about the live episode and how it happened and um, how it went, and then a little bit about everything else that's going on as well. So on Sunday, the live episode happened. It happened at Arts on Site on St. Mark's Place in the East Village, which is a wonderful, wonderful organization. I believe their website is artsonsite.org. They have great $10 dance classes with really wonderful teachers, and they have affordable rehearsal space, and they really took care of me, and I was so glad that the episode got to happen there. I, I produced it with Dylan Moore, who has been on the podcast towards the beginning, who was my classmate at Juilliard and is now a producer. Luckily, she was there for me to be my sounding board and to help me tie up all the loose ends and kind of take care of things while I was trying to host and do all of that. We had about 50 people come, and thanks to a generous donation from dear friends, I was able to hire a professional sound person to help me make this happen, and he was so great. We were able to have amplification, which I hadn't really planned on, and it was really helpful because there was a amazing sounding dance company rehearsing upstairs that sometimes would sound like a a pack of gazelles uh, going across the floor. I wish I could have seen what they were rehearsing. So the amplification was really helpful. So you might hear a little bit of that in the background here and there. Um, the sad part was that although it was no fault of the sound person at all, but some fluke happened with the memory card. And we only got the first 28 minutes of the event on tape, um, not the rest. So when we figured out what had happened afterwards, Luckily, we were all still hanging out, and I was able to re-record Laura's song. So although I do not have her interview on this episode, I, I do have her song, which I'm grateful for. I already knew that these two interviews were going to be short and sweet, a half hour each. It's not a lot of time to really get into all these uh, deep topics. So I had already thought about recording um, 
additional episodes with these guests. So what my plan is, is to record full episodes in the next couple weeks with Frankie J. Alvarez, my husband, and with Laura, um, and get those out as soon as I can. But (laughs) this kind of made the live episode a really special event for everyone who was in the room, and you guys are just going to get a kind of a some little bit of highlights and snippets on this recording today. Unfortunately, it stopped right in the middle or right at the beginning of an answer Frankie was giving um, to a question about being a Latino actor and handling the challenges that come with that. So I will definitely make sure to ask him about that again when we record in the near future. You'll also hear Brendan Spieth playing the music at the beginning. Uh, Brendan and Elena Adcock performed a beautiful rendition of Over the Hill by Luden Wainwright. So I'm sorry, Brendan, that that's not going to be included here, but everyone who was in the room loved it. It was gorgeous. So yeah, that's where I am with it. And honestly, it it had me going a little bit to the dark side and questioning how it went the next day and a little bit this week, just because I'm a perfectionist and I was hoping that everything would go perfectly, but there's always things that are out of your control. There are always just, you know, things that randomly go wrong. So uh, I've decided to look at the positive side. It was a great event. We'll do more in the future. And this is really a small thing that could have gone wrong. So I want to say thank you uh, to Dylan Moore for helping me put this together and everyone else who was there that night helping me with tickets, with the bar, with photographs. I really can't do it without you guys so it was really lovely to have all those artists in the room and um giving me their support and the audience giving me their time and their focus it was wonderful and I'm very grateful so that is the live episode and the audio I have will follow this introduction so the play that I'm doing right now kind of suddenly out of the blue it's come back to life is called Drunkelvania and it's with Three Day Hangover Theatre Company Um, You can find tickets at drunkalvania.com. There's a discount code for 20% off for shows in November, which is the number three, and then the letters D-H-F-A-N, all capital. Um, It's a show I love, and it's heartening that after putting in so many, like, equity showcase code hours on it over the years, it's come back with a real equity contract for three shows a week, so we're going to make a little bit of money and get to tell the story all together. It's a lot of fun, so I hope you come out. Anyway, yesterday when I woke up and saw the results of the election, I I was in a daze for a lot of the day. It was very emotional, and we all showed up to have a dress rehearsal in the evening, and um, it was really heartening just to come together and create something together and find the laughter and the emotion in a Chekhov play is actually very apropos for right now. And there's a, you know, a large part of the play and my storyline in the play is that you just have to keep going. Like, no matter what happens, you just have to wake up and keep going. So, that being said, that's that. That's the play that's going on. So, I'm sorry if this episode is not as polished as usual, but things have been hectic. Uh, today I went for a jog around my neighborhood in Astoria, Queens. I love my neighborhood. It's the most diverse borough of New York City. I went for a little run and I passed by this elementary school and the bunch of the kids were out in this little 
you know, fenced in, not really a playground, but like a play yard. And this group of boys, maybe like third grade or fourth grade, was kind of jogging around the playground, shouting together, we hate Trump, we hate Trump, we hate Trump, and laughing and um, it was just the most bizarre thing. And at first I smiled cause I, <laughs> it was just so surprising and, um, kind of amazing that they knew what was going on. But I also, I had this surreal moment of having these flashbacks to being a kid. And when some other kid will ask you, well, are you a Republican? Or are you a Democrat? Not that any of us knew what that meant, but you would say whatever your parents were. Yeah, not understanding it, but you're just kind of taught to echo that. Like, that's what I am. And at first I smiled. And then I also started crying for like five seconds because that's just the place I'm in. Uh, And it felt like I was in a sci-fi film where you wake up in a different reality and you don't realize it until you start to notice the small inconsistencies of that reality with what you're used to and those kids probably don't really know what's going on or what they're saying and even though I hope they their parents are explaining to them what is happening because it will impact their lives but I hope that the word hate is abolished from all the children's mouths across the country whether their parents are democrats or republicans no matter what the candidate who is now going to be our president, has encouraged. And we can all work together towards our goals and not hate individuals or groups of people, but work towards putting systems and ideas and thoughts into action that have nothing to do with hating human beings. It was an odd moment, and I wanted to take a deep breath and just share it with you because I I turned on my phone and made a little voice recording because it was just so bizarre Um, and I'm still thinking about it. you're about to hear is with um, actor Frankie J. Alvarez. He's my husband. We met at Juilliard and we've been together for 10 years, married for three and a half. I respect his hard work and drive so much and it was a pleasure to finally have him on the podcast but there's more to come at a later date. This is just a beginning. Again, thank you to Brendan Spieth and Laura Gratmans and I will have another episode with Laura very soon. I hope you enjoy this little peek into The Compass Live. for coming to the Compass Live. It's our first live episode. There will be more in the future. Um, 
I'm super nervous, but I'm really glad to see all these <laughs> friendly, friendly faces in the crowd. We are here at Arts on Site. I'm very thankful uh, to them for hosting us. And I'm looking forward to having, we have Brendan Spieth on music. And my two guests are Frankie J. Alvarez and Laura Gratmans, who are amazing. Uh, yeah, so we're just going to get started. So thank you all for being here. It's wonderful to see you all. Frankie, <laughs> uh, this, this is my husband, for anyone who doesn't know. Uh, Hi. <laughs> now that we've broken the ice. Uh, have, we, have we broken it? <laughs> what is the dark side for you yeah, we're as an launch. artist? Yeah, we're going to launch right in. Yeah, as usual. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you try to avoid going there as, as an artist? Yeah. Um, well, f the first thing I wanted to say is... Uh, it's a pretty incredible thing that you're doing today, and everybody's very excited about it. Um, and I, I guess the, the, to answer that question, I'm going to try my best to... There's also a dance rehearsal oh, yeah. upstairs, so hopefully yeah. no, if no fans will fall on your head, hopefully. But those of you who've already done the podcast in our, in our office know we have two boys that live upstairs. And so this is kind of similar. So it's almost like we're home. Yeah, it's realistic. Yeah. Um, great. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what two boys sound like. Um, I guess when, when uh, I want to make sure that, I, that I, I, we were talking about having this conversation, usually it's, it's a private conversation between two people. And there's an intimacy there. And obviously, all you guys are here as an audience. And so uh, I got to try my best to turn off a, a performance type energy. Of course, that's going to happen, right? But you know what? This is what we do as artists. We, we let in what happens in the moment, and, and, and that's, that's really what it's all about. Um, so to answer your question, uh, I got to say, the, first, we got to define what the dark side is. And I know, for me, um, it, it, there wasn't really a dark side until I went to grad school. Yeah? <laughs> you know... What do you mean? Well... And we've talked about this before, and I, I'm going to say that again. We've talked about this before, wife. Um, that uh, I I was kind of a big fish in a small pond in in Miami. I went to an all boy Jesuit school from sixth to twelfth grade, and uh, we acted on tabletops. There was fourteen of us at any given time who were actors in a school of a thousand guys wearing ties and, and Ivy League jackets, you know? So we were uh, an anomaly at that school. Um, and so it was, it was pretty easy to be considered. I mean, my, my nickname in high school was Thespis. Um, and <laughs> I thought it was kind of apropos. I was one of, sort of one of the first actors to step out from this ensemble of future doctors and lawyers and to declare, well, I'm different, you know? Uh, so, so different, in fact, that when I talked to my college counselor and told him about a uh, life in the arts, he was like, good luck. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he, I know nothing yeah, he, about he that. He really had no way to sort of steer yeah. me. Um, and my mom, my mom uh, 
we got in a van and we drove to Tallahassee, seven hours away, and I saw Florida State for the first time. And um, and you have to understand, as a, as a, as a wide-eyed, curious, cute <laughs> boy, um, <laughs> going, to, going to college for the first time and actually like seeing, seeing girls on campus. And my mom was so sweet, so generous. For those of you who know Ophelia, um, a lot of you, uh, of course, uh, it won't surprise you to know that we're walking around campus and she's like, check out that lady over there. <laughs> Look at those booty shorts, you know? Um, and it, for, for, for her, it was her way of being like, it's okay, you know? You, you lived a, 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 in, a, in a different world previously and this is a whole new world and, and you, can, you, you can find your, your place there. And it was a, a tremendous act of generosity. I was waitlisted for a bunch of my sort of the colleges that I wanted to go to and uh, FSU ended up being my safety school. And when I look back on it, it was such a blessing to be seven hours away from home. I'm a very, as you know, a very uh, family oriented guy. And uh, that first semester was so, uh, it was tough for me to not have my support system, to not have my sisters and my parents and a lot of my close friends. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, this is the problem with you and I talking. We can okay. talk for hours. I, like, <laughs> we'll be like, oh, thanks for answering that question. Next. <laughs> um, so, uh, so at FSU, I, I really was, uh, I, I, did, I, I, I acted all the time. I was very fortunate to be on the main stage uh, semester after semester. Um, and I had a kind of, at, then it was just kind of blindly, I was just, just throw energy at at parts, you know, at characters that I was playing. Just a lot of energy, just too much energy. Um, for those of you who've known me that long, Alejandro Rodriguez is out there, who's the closest thing I have to, to a blood brother. We've known each other 18 years now, something like that. Um, we've raised a kid in our, our friendship, right? Um, uh, don't worry, you'll, you'll you? meet him. You'll meet him. <laughs> um, I should know about this. <laughs> So I, I was fortunate to have, have teachers that believed in me and, and, and directors who cast me, and I, I got to work on a lot of things. So when I, when I came here to the city, uh, it was really a, 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 real, a, deep, a deep realization that, oh, I'm just one of many, so how am I going to stand out? And uh, I, I booked this theater works tour to go away from New York for six months and play a bunch of funny characters in a touring version uh, of Ramona Quimby. I've played, uh, I played Mrs. Greaves, I think, who had like a, I had a beehive wig and, and boobies. And uh, I, was, I was her, I was Ramona's funny uncle who, who went to safari in Africa and came back. And then of course I was Mr. Frost, uh, who, who, who worked at the refrigerator factory where, where, my, where Mr. Quimby worked and I fire Mr. Quimby. Um, and so I played him as a Spaniard. I, he was Senor Froft. Um, and it, it was an amazing experience to, to tour around the country. And, and I, that was the first time that I really felt a sense of, of what we do as actors uh, is a service, you know? We were going to elementary schools and middle schools and performing for these kids and, and helping them realize, oh my God, this is a life, you know? Financially, it wasn't, <laughs> um, and we're going to get into that, I'm, I'm sure, at some point. But, but my heart was full, 
And uh, it was during that time when I auditioned for Juilliard at the behest of, of my, one of my close friends, uh, Ali, um, who coached my monologues and stuff. And, and I got in and uh, I put all my eggs in that one basket. So what was it that changed when you got into grad school that you felt like you started discovering right. the dark side? Well, then it was, I met my 17 classmates who were beautiful and wonderful and a bunch of, they were also big fish from their small ponds. And then to realize, well, here we are now in this small pond and it's, a, it's well, we're, we're pretty big fish here. And, uh, <laughs> aw, you're so cute when you're worried. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is why she's waited so long for me to be on the podcast. She's, she's worried that I would spend 45 minutes flirting. Uh, um, and here I am, as predictable as ever. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so, so it was a blessing to be around my classmates, and I learned a lot from them. But I, I very quickly learned that, that the stuff that I, the, the pure energy and talent that I coasted on, there was a lot more work that I needed to do and I needed to go deeper in that process. And in that, I started to compare myself to other people. And I had never done that previously. Yeah, so I'd never put myself in a place where I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at another classmate and thinking, I, I wish I was getting that attention or I wish I was being supported in that way that this person is being supported. And then feelings of envy and jealousy started coming about and that was for me, very new. I had never felt that way. Um, and that continues to be, for me, the dark place, you know, where I, I see somebody else's fortune and I want what they have. And, uh, and the, the thing for me that, that continuously helps is to have like a full audience of people like you guys who are, a lot of you are close friends. And so realizing that I have a supportive network of people that, that are champions for me and that I am champions for them as well and that that is, is a currency. It's, it's very easy to, to, to lose sight of that in the city and, and especially in, in this business that is so competitive um, where you're being compared to other people. And so part of me is, is taking that power away from that comparison. And uh, God, my, my, a really close friend of mine, uh, Alexis, came into town and and uh, we went to drinks in the neighborhood in Astoria. Whoop, whoop. And uh, we're walking down the street to the bar and he was like, he was like, I I'm really proud of you, man. And I was like, why are you proud of me? You're gonna be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, you know, my dad was a doctor and I'm in the family business. And I, I'm, I'm, I, I have family friends that have helped me out and put me in this position. And you went to an all-boy Jesuit school that wasn't an art school, and you found this passion, this talent, and you worked your way. You willed this life for yourself, you know? Um, I took on Juilliard, you know, obviously spiritually and, uh, and also, you know, psychologically, but also financially, and that's a, a burden that I continue to uh, pay, like a second mortgage. And... <laughs> Where's that first mortgage? You don't even have yeah, a first yeah, right. mortgage yet. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice catch, nice catch. But anyway, it was, it was such a tremendous act of generosity for my, my, my friend Alexis to say, you know, you, you, you did this, you know? You, from nothing, you made this life for yourself. And it made me realize, wow. I mean, it was just such, such a beautiful gift. And I, that only happened a couple weeks ago. And for him to say that to me was just, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. 
that we, we get stuck. I, I put these blinders on and I'm, it's between me and this guy for this part or I really want this play but I can't even get in the room and, and things like that. And then realize, wow, I've, I've come so far in such a, a long, such a short amount of time. Um, and it's really easy to forget that when you're in that grind every day. And to have his outside perspective illuminate that for me was just, uh, it, it was a gift. It was a gift. So anyway, to answer your question, I mean, that, that's the thing for me is, is, is comparison, you know? And it's something that naturally happens in this business. So I have to find a way to, for, for me, the way out of it is work, you know? And here you are, you're doing Drunkle Vanya now, and we're, we're running lines together, and we will work, we will work, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing for me, or, where I have to, I get back into that script, or back into that play, or whatever it is that I'm, if I'm not working on something, whatever audition that pops up, or if, if I don't have an audition that week, then it's about, well, what play haven't I read in a while, or what art, what art can I ingest that will inspire me, that will help me be ready for whenever that next opportunity pops right. up? And I wanted to ask, because I know that you've been starting to write again, and that that has kind of been an effort in that vein, yeah. to have something to work on on your own when you're not busy or not getting paid for your work. And I know that you were a writer in college and a writer on your own, but you've recently started collaborating and working on screenplays. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it happened years ago uh, from, uh, we had all this free time because our time wasn't dictated for us the way it was at Florida State or at Juilliard. And uh, we, why am I, it's not the royal we, <laughs> uh, me. I had all this free time and I, I, uh, I needed to fill it with artistically. And I found that preparing for auditions, and at, at that time I was auditioning for for, you know, maybe like a two line part on Smash or something. And so, it, you, you don't really get a sense in roles like that, as, as, as we all know, to create a fully uh, a three-dimensional uh, human being. And so I, I, I had that desire and that urge, and I had a lot of energy that wasn't being placed in a useful place for, for me. And so me and uh, my, my very good friend, Nick Choksi, we, he came at me with this idea about what if, what if we do a, a play about this band, like a storyteller's type show about this band, and uh, I, that's all I know. And I was like, all right, well, let's brainstorm. And so um, that's what my writing process has, has been now. It's just been brainstorming with Nick for years about what this, and it's, it's a series of coffees and dinners and breakfasts and hours spent, you know, ingesting caffeine and also spitballing ideas back and forth. And so then once that project kind of came to fruition, uh, God, after after season that was like 2015 or so, and uh, my buddy Marty and I, I had this idea about these three Cuban baseball players trying to escape uh, Cuba and trying to make it to the major leagues, and uh, we had been talking about writing a screenplay together, and I thought, well, that's that's something, and so we went to our friend uh, Mark Junik's retreat house, make house, which some of you are familiar mm -hmm. with. And, Mark's uh, been on the podcast, yeah. Episode. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. Sorry. I, don't I put have, her on the spot. I, the I put her on the spot. That's I don't have I them memorized. Um, but that was a tremendous uh, 20 gift. something. Right. That was a tremendous gift as well to, to have a, a, a place where we could uh, fill these ideas out. And, and, and now we're, we've got a, a 20 page outline of what our screenplay is. And some of this came from 
frankly, a, a, a fear of the blank page, you know? I'm looking at, at Jason right now. I'm, uh, I'm sure, I'm, it, it's a tough thing as a writer, right? Where you're looking at that blank page and you're thinking, I have to create something beautiful and I have to, I have, to have pages by the end of the day. And uh, I was just listening to Jason's uh, uh, episode today and you're talking about how daydreaming uh, it's okay to go through a day where I don't crank out pages, but I do crank out ideas and thoughts. And maybe they're formless and they don't have an, uh, uh, a way of being organized right now, but, but even, even firing those synapses will, will take me to filling that blank page at one point. And I found that, that collaborating with one, of my, with one of my closest friends has been so wonderful. So it's happened with Nick at, on the band play and then Marty on the screenplay. And then me and Alejandro now have started collaborating on this play about, uh, his working title right now is, is Borders Brothers. Um, and I, I kind of love it. I love it. It's about <laughs> what, what, what about the responsibility of first generation, uh, uh, Cuban Americans, you know, we're playing these two brothers and what that responsibility is and how it manifests itself in our lives. And so these lessons that are imparted to us by the older generation, how we, how we ingest them in separate ways, you know, as a, as a, a working person in service of your family or as an artist, you know, who's out on the world by, by yourself, you know, so right now we're, we're very much in the opening beginnings of these thoughts, but I've found that, that combating the fear of that blank page, uh, uh, having a collaborator is, is really helpful, but also keeps you, um, keeps you in check. It, uh, I have somebody that's holding me accountable and vice versa. Does it make you feel like you have a little bit more power when you're just auditioning or? Wow, that's a beautiful leading question because it does. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, you know, on, on, in those, there's so much of our, our lives as actors that, that we have no control over. And if I don't have something coming, coming up this week or I haven't booked anything in you know six months or two years or whatever, I have this creative refuge with my best friends pretty much where I can go and say whatever I want and think of whatever I want and make mistakes in an environment where I feel empowered and, and, and with artists who I trust and vice versa. And that to me, to walk away from a meeting like that is significantly more fulfilling than, you know, what happened at Mark Sachs' office today, you know? So guys, just to acknowledge this, I'm doing two interviews today. So it's going to be a little shorter with each person. It's only going to be a half hour. So there's going to be lots of things we don't get to talk about. Um, so just to acknowledge that, <laughs> uh, on the heels of that, um, I wanted to ask you two things. The first one is you've been lucky enough the last few years to do a lot of work in TV, um, coming out of many years in theater. So I wanted to ask you about what that was like, that transition, working between those two mediums, if you had any issues with defining success for yourself between them, <laughs> all of that as an artist. All right, uh, you, you might I'm have sure, to I'm refresh sure, me some of these questions. I'm Let's... sure it was like a shock to the system, but yeah. you've had the luck to kind of change mediums all of a sudden three years ago, so. Yeah, and it truly has been a blessing in a lot of ways, and um, it's been a lot of on-the-job training, you know? Um, I was lucky enough, my first gig out of Juilliard was a full season at Oregon Shakes. And so I did two Shakespeare plays, Measure for Measure and Julius Caesar, 120 performances of each. 
So I was there for 10 months and it was 240 performances of Shakespeare. And the... Which is amazing, right out of school. Oh, like, what a training! What it a was training when ground. I talked to to Richard Feldman about it. I, I periodically check in school, and I always say hi to um, my artistic psychoanalyst, Richard Feldman. Um, and he, uh, he, we always talk about it as the fifth year, the fifth year of training, and that's exactly what it was. You know, it, it for me, it was one of the, the the best years of my life because I was able to synthesize this kerfluffle of information that I got for those four years at Juilliard and do it independent of, of the teacher's voices. I didn't have their voices in my head. I just had my own artistry and these tremendous artists that I was uh, surrounded by in this gorgeous valley in the middle of nowhere in Ashland, Oregon. Um, and very much for those who've been there, it's pretty much the, the Disney world of theater, you know? <laughs> They're doing 12 plays a year on three different uh, uh, state-of-the-art theaters. Um, and people come from all over, you know, um, internationally to come see these plays. And it's, it's, it was amazing. It was amazing and a, and a true blessing. And, and that sort of, uh, you know, the dominoes started rolling and, and I basically, it, it was two, two months into that contract that I missed you so much that I was like, oh, she's my wife. And so I'm proposing at the end of this year. So that was also part of what made 2011, everybody wins. Um, but that, that's part of what made 2011 so special was, was in being away from you, um, I realized how important you, your presence was to my day-to-day my -day life. Um, and it, it sort of, it was, it was like my aha moment. Um, and so for me, you know, you were the, the carrot at the end of that tunnel. And they offered me a... <laughs> And they offered me a... I'm the carrot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll, I will take that. And they, they offered me a, 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 another year uh, from, from January to November to play Mercutio and, and another role in Troilus and Cressida. And I just... I was very fortunate to book uh, Hamlet, uh, which I did down in Sarasota. It was a fully bilingual production in repertory, um, which was a mind fuck. <laughs> Um, you know, we do a performance at 2 p.m. in English and then a performance at 8 p.m. in Spanish. And there's Giselle over there was my Ophelia. Uh, stunning and beautiful and, and uh, uh, a tremendously challenging scene partner in a great way. We, we, we r raised each other's games. Um, and I felt that way about the whole cast. And uh, so, so anyway, that, that was the momentum where I, I booked that. And it, it was like, well play this dream role in two languages set in Cuba and then we took the production down to Miami and closed it was a, a lifetime it was a, a, a project of a lifetime but it also meant four months in Florida and then I get to go home to my fiance as opposed to 10 months in Oregon in the long contract where you can't leave so you're 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 there for 10 months and I just knew that I couldn't obviously I've I flirted enough we knew that I couldn't be away from you <laughs> Um, and so I, I came back, and that's when Nick and I started working on the band play, and uh, I got a random call from Telsey and Company saying, hey, we want you on for a couple episodes of Smash. Um, just we're filling in actors for this musical version of Dangerous Liaisons that, that they were doing. Uh, and for those of you who know me, um, that's not good casting. <laughs> um, I don't belong there. Um, but... It, it, 
in hindsight, it was uh, a, a, a tremendous gift to be on set for three episodes. I didn't have a line, but I'm watching these tremendous actors like, like Sean Hayes and Megan Hilty uh, do take after take after take and try different things. And I'm, I'm asking questions, obviously, and I've got my little notebook and I'm writing things down and trying to learn as much as possible. And then I went out to, to Louisville and did Whipping Man out there. And while I was in Louisville, I grew this huge beard to play this Confederate soldier. And the looking audition came about. And I, when that audition came about, I just knew, I was like, oh, this is, I can do this. I don't know why I felt that way as, a, as, a, as like a sweet, straight man to play this kind of really tortured uh, gay uh, he, he was uh, my, my polar opposite in a lot of ways, but there was something about the role where I felt like this guy is in me. And so I sent in tapes from, uh, from Louisville and it caught the eye of, of the director and, and Carmen Cuba who cast it and they invited me to come out to LA and test. Uh, and so I closed the show on a Saturday in Louisville and Sunday I came here to New York and we watched the Super Bowl and um, spent the night with you, and then Monday I flew to LA, and Tuesday and Wednesday were the chemistry reads, and I was cast on Friday. So in, in, in a week, my, my whole life changed, and uh, here I had this series regular role where it was like I had never spoken on camera before, and I show up to my first day of the pilot in San Francisco in March, and it's like, here, Frankie, here's your contract, all right, and take off your clothes and get in bed with that guy. And, uh, and you start, and that was the first scene that I shot, as the two of us were in bed, we're jerking each other off, and I, I, we're making out, and then I, he wants me to move in with him, and I relent, and I say yes. Um, and it was, it was baptism by fire in a lot of ways. I had never spoken on camera, and here I am already doing a vulnerable thing. And for those of you who've seen the show, it's, uh, I was listening to Chris Perfetti's episode as well today, and he was talking about that show has a tremendous... Where, where's that red beanie? He's here. Hey, bud. Um, at that show, for us, there's nothing to hide behind. For Jonathan and Murray and Chris and Raul and I and, and Danny and everyone, it's all about cracking open your ribs and exposing whatever's inside. Um, and that was hard. But I... It's one of those things where stuff happens for a reason, and... Doing that play, Whipping Man in Louisville, which for me was one of the hardest theatrical experiences I ever had. For those of you who are not familiar with the play, I play a Confederate soldier who comes home to his newly freed slaves in 1865, now the Civil War is over. He gets his leg chopped off at the first scene of the play, and he's immobile for the rest of the play. And for those of you who know me, that's a challenge, you know? <laughs> and so I, I had to sit my butt and uh, in, in, in this play is in the round, and so my back is, is uh, to a third of the audience for the act one, and then act two, they move me to the other side, and my back is to that other half of the audience, and that was it. I had to sit there and trust that I was enough. And for my classmates who know, that was a four-year-long battle that has since become an 11-year-long battle. You know, we all have our demons that we deal with, and for me, that's, that's always been... The, the demon in, in, in my work is trusting that what I have, what I'm bringing is enough that I, that, that I deserve to be in the company of these, of these artists and these people. And that show, what was so beautiful about it was everybody came at it with such an open heart um, that it made it very easy to be vulnerable because you're looking at your scene partner and that person is so open that you have to, you have to match that 
and rise above as well. And so that's what we did for two and a half years. Um, and it was, it was the, the best. It was the fucking best. We're running out of time, but I did okay. want to ask you also about, since you are a first-generation Cuban-American yeah. and a Latino actor, what are the challenges that you've found since school that have surprised you or not surprised you about the casting process, about the stereotypes that you've had to overcome and how your thinking has maybe developed as about how you need to deal with those situations? Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I was very conscious coming out of school that I didn't want to, I didn't want a stage name. I didn't, it felt to me that I didn't want to deny that part of myself.
listening to the Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi. And a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.